If you staged your own funeral, what would your friends and family say about you? From Well Played, this is Superhumans. 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 Who is a superhuman? Superhumans is what we become when we allow our story to serve as medicine for others. I'm your host, Gotham Galati, better known as Dr. G. As someone who once prescribed pills, I now prescribe stories as a form of medicine. I'm excited to share today's superhuman, Dr. Alex Haddad. His superhuman's story will tickle your soul by exploring what it means to live a healthy and eternally happy life through the lens of our own mortality. You'll hear Alex climb into his own coffin to celebrate his death. My surprise birthday present was a much more intimate funeral. As you listen, think about how you might see yourself in Alex's story. Before we hit play, I have a quick word of caution. Please do not consider this medical advice. Consult with a healthcare professional should you need medical attention. I'll see you on the other side of the story. Remember, 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 never to kill the inner child or the lunatic in you. I had a very happy childhood. My parents loved each other. I am told that it was like a fairy tale romance. And, um, and I know I was loved fully. I know, I have no doubt that they loved me a lot. Time went by, and unfortunately the relationship um, deteriorated a lot. My dad had an affair, and... um, and uh, it was, yeah, it was impossible to keep it going. And we are talking about Colombia in the 70s. And the rural community, very tight, separation, very embarrassing, very prominent families. Um, tabloid material everybody talking about it in town nobody would give him a chance in Colombia, in the entire country that just gives you a hint of the power of my mother's side of the family he had to leave he was basically exiled he had to leave the country 
So I could feel my mother suffering at home. My dad was the love of her life. Uh, my dad had an affair with, with a very young woman at the time. My mother was depressed, very depressed at the time, to the point that she had to be admitted to hospital. Uh, um, she was even hallucinating, so this was... She had a psychotic episode with deep depression at the time, when all these things were happening. By the way, I saw my father 10 times in the following 25 years. Okay, in secret locations for no more than 48 hours at a time. And he had to change locations because if he could get a good position somewhere and my mother's side of the family knew, they would destroy him there. And this is worldwide, by the way. Okay? So... The power of networks. The power of power. Okay. Usually invisible to most of us. But that love story, that incredibly beautiful romance collapsed. And I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't cope easily with it at home. So I would go around the corner to my grandparents' home and they had a hammock in one of the living rooms. And uh, I would go into a hammock and almost cocoon myself there. I would just put the both sides of the hammock and go in there and have chats with my inner voice. I was having my own chats and I would have conversations with myself there. I'm talking about age 12, roughly. And I went into the hammock and I started to read the encyclopedia. Interesting. And once my grandfather was walking by and he said, Cookie, uh, what are you doing? Um, I said, I'm reading. What are you reading? I said, I'm reading the encyclopedia. And he just stopped and said, why? I said, well, there is nothing else to read here. <laughs> I, uh, and, and I am enjoying it. And he gave me the most beautiful smile. I think he got it. He understood that what was happening with my father was creating a lot of suffering and that I was coping with it by creating a bubble of safety in a living room that people would not visit very often in a hammock. And he says, he said to me, come with me. I said, okay. And we went to the second floor of the house and he opened the room and there was this big uh, piece of furniture. He opens it and his favorite books are there. And, and then he did this. Hey, you may enjoy this one and gave me, gave me this book. And I said, okay, I went to the, to the hammock and I opened it. And I couldn't stop. This author invited me to go into a completely different reality. A world I couldn't even name or recognize 
It Was Brave New World, The Book, by Aldous Huxley. And, and I couldn't put it, put it down. Books allow us to engage in conversations with the dead. So we had known this. I had discovered, I discovered this later on. But at that point, in, in that experience, uh, opened a completely different set of possibilities for me. I'm using the word possibilities very carefully. And then my grandfather came and said, what do you think? I said, this is incredible. So I, I discovered that I could engage in dialogue with myself. And I'm, I'm using the word myself on purpose. It's my space self. Okay. It was fascinating. And then I would ask me questions, that me, and that me would ask another me questions. I didn't open my mouth. And there I was having conversations. And it may sound crazy, but then I discovered that I could get another voice. And then another voice. And, and it felt weird. I would not tell anybody because I felt as if I was going crazy. Okay, I was hearing voices. I was hearing voices. Then I realized that that happened, that happened also when I was reading. I would get a book and I would look at these characters on a page and I could hear a voice that was produced by those letters put together. And that was a fascinating discovery. Then I asked people, do you hear a voice when you read? And people would answer to me, of course. I said, and what do you think about it? Well, what am I going to think about it? That's what it is. I said, but isn't that interesting? Most people wouldn't find it interesting. So I had to keep having conversations with myself about how interesting this experience was. And then my grandfather started to expose me to, to what we were experiencing in the real world through that fictional story and open space for me to start becoming aware of things that had been kept separate from my reality because we were protected. We grew up in this neighborhood, no gated community, a beautiful neighborhood with big forests at the back I could run on my underwear until the age of 10 or 11. Okay, I would go into my neighbors' homes. They were not locked. I would go in, and if they're having lunch, I would sit. We were literally raised by a village, by a group of neighbors, in full contact with nature, recognizing that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And I think now that my grandfather was doing that because he was having conversations with my father who had accepted that he was defeated. I was reading these books in that hammock 
And my grandfather was giving me these books to keep me there when things were really, really horrible at, at home. My mother admitted to a hospital. My father saying, I don't know when we're going to see each other again. My grandfather on the other side, through books, was preparing me for a transition. My brother and I go to school, each of us to a room. I am going to be my own representative. I was going to go to parent-teacher interviews, get the report cards, I would get the monthly allowance. You see the money I would pay the school, pay the hotel. I sit on the first row. Um, at 14, I was the youngest of the class. Most of my peers were 16 or so because I jumped to classes uh, at school in my previous place. You could do that at that time. And they put me on the first row. And I am the new one. Everybody had studied with everybody and they were competitors because the idea was who would get the highest marks in the national test. I sit on the first intimidated and the teacher says, we have a new student. Oh, okay. Stand up and introduce yourself. I stand up. I said, Alex Haddad from Monteria. That's the town I was coming from. And somebody from the back of the room shouts, I can see the sandal on his forehead, the peasant's sandal on his forehead. And I was looking at the teacher and everybody laughed behind me. Whoa! You cannot imagine the laughter. It was like a roar. <laughs> and the teacher was laughing in front of me. So the teacher is laughing at me. All of the students laughing at me. I am sitting, I'm standing on the first row on my own, new city. Nobody, mother in the hospital, father gone, brother in another class. I had never felt so lonely in my life. And that day, happy Alex died. I stood there and my soul died. I sat down Kept quiet. Recess came. Didn't speak with anybody. My brother was very uncomfortable in his class too. I said, yes, this happened to me. We just need to study hard. If these people value studying, we are going to show them what studying means. Okay? But it wasn't happy. It was sad, deep suffering. Okay, That Alex joyful, who loved to ask questions, okay, who had conversations with himself, okay, who loved to learn for the sake of learning, was dead. And what's death? What's death after all? Okay? Dead. Uh, I applied to medical school. My grades were so high that I had admissions at the school I could pick of the public ones in the country. But I chose one in Bogota where my dad had studied and I made it into that one. You see, I had, I was doing my PhD on knowledge distill distillation. I was, some people say, the first person in the world with a medical degree to do a PhD 
on how not to know and on what we know in medicine through the lens of statistics using something called meta-analysis. So I was at that time working on that, trying to find the truth. Why haven't I spent time thinking about what death is? Why don't we discuss this subject? And then I realized how little I knew about anything. So, what is death? Great question. I think it's one of the greatest questions for, for, for many reasons. One, because it might be impossible to answer. And because it may be our greatest motivator. You see, the knowledge that that is something and it's like zero. Is like the nothing that is. Is the nothing that is. And it's the, not the, the nothing that is present with us in every breath. Hmm? And that we try to resist. And we hang on to immortality. And we live our lives, you see as a constant fight against that nothing that is. And later, I find myself in my own hospital as a patient with a possible diagnosis of cancer colon cancer and the poking begins colonoscopies and liver biopsies I had a lump somebody saw a shadow in my liver and on one of my ribs so and, and when you're a physician you get the VIP syndrome you're at risk of overzealous treatment and diagnosis so all my colleagues doing me this or that. And in one of these occasions, on one of these occasions, I'm recovering from a colonoscopy. And one of the inner voices says to the other voices, okay, okay, if we have cancer, could we die healthy? Because the inner voices cannot have secrets with each other. Nobody else can hear them but they can hear each other. So the conversations amongst the inner voices are very safe in terms of the outside world. Nobody can hear them. Nobody. But they are not safe amongst themselves. This is full transparency. There is no room there for disguises. There is no room for masks there. It's all naked. Then it makes us notice something else. And then try a question like this. 
what do we need to put in place to ensure that we have a good life until the very end? So I asked for a funeral and my family said that I was crazy. They said, we know you were crazy. Yeah, yeah, you are keeping your inner lunatic alive, but this is too much. And I really wanted to invite people, my family by choice, my family by genes, my family by memes, to a funeral house, to a funeral home, and do an awake. It's called to be an awake. I would be in the coffin, and I would come out, and I would, okay, celebrate in reverse. And then people would eulogize me, okay? And I would tell people everything I had kept in me that I wasn't able to say before, etc. Okay? And they said, too much, too much, too much. You're crazy, you're too crazy. That's too much. And they persuaded me to have a nice meal. I said, I want to be in my hammock on my birthday. I don't want to go out. I want to read all day. I said, okay. And then they said, but that place is too hot. Why don't you come to this other place? You have a nice hammock there, not in this place. No, I want this hammock. I, not, I cannot even make decisions. My own decisions on my birthday, on my 50th. This is terrible. Okay, I was complaining like a child. The inner child was out. At the end, I gave up. I said, okay, I'm going to the other place. And I opened the door of the other place and the coffin, there was a coffin in the living room. my surprise birthday present was a much more intimate funeral. Okay? So the family greeted me and they said, welcome to your graduation. They opened the casket. They helped me get in. It's very difficult to get into a casket. You're usually carried flat, but if you have to go in, it's fascinating. Where do Lots of inner questions. Okay, I go into the casket and I had chosen my funeral music by the way in fact my funeral music is what wakes me up in the mornings with my alarm clock and they knew I wrote my obituary before okay? so how could I sum up my life in, in a few words okay? so I went into the coffin I had to pick the position by the way but I invite my wife Martha and the kids to spend time with me, each of them alone, to tell me what they would say at my funeral. Okay? With no time limit. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences. I was in the coffin with my arms crossed and it was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. They would cry there. They would touch my face. They would kiss me and I would have to keep very still, not to break the illusion. And they would actually manage to imagine me dead. And I heard the most beautiful things coming okay, through them. Okay. So, no regrets, no frustrations, and these beautiful people telling me things that otherwise I would have missed, they closed the, the coffin, played my funeral music, and took me like this with my sons-in-law. They carried me to another stand at the balcony with the casket closed, my music playing, 
for me to have time on my own there. And I would knock the coffin inside and they would open it, okay? They would take me back to the living room. So I spent there a good 15 minutes with myself imagining our death and reflecting upon what we had heard from Martha and the kids and replaying life. Then I gave the signal mostly because it gets very um, humid in there and they were worried outside. And then I decided to throw myself into the world. I said, now I am throwing myself into the world. Aware. Accepting. Surrendering. I'm entering a new life. And then inspired by Nietzsche, I got out. Nietzsche, in one of his essays, entitled Eternal Recurrences, invites us to be part of a thought experiment. So he really pokes our inner voices. He says, if a magical creature, a demon in German, if a magical creature appeared to you and gave you the opportunity to relive your life an infinite number of times without changing anything. An infinite number of times. We don't have the concept of infinite. Without changing anything. And he says in the essay, even this spider would be walking on that patch of table an infinite number of times. Would you take that offer? This is quite a question. And I would like to ask that same question to you. Right now. Right here. Would you take it? So Nietzsche says, probably not. Most people would say, no, thank you. If I could change things, I would for sure. But if I cannot change anything, no, thank you. Would I like to relive the separation of my parents, the bullying at school? Probably not. The killing of my soul at 14. Okay. Nevertheless, what if this can be dissolved? And the question could be answered in relation to what is left to live. What if I have the opportunity to relive my life, regardless of how long it is, from now until my last breath? Because that's what my life will be. The interval, as Santayana, George Santayana, our favorite philosopher, He said, there is no cure for birth or death save to enjoy the interval.
All we have is the interval and the opportunity to enjoy it. So when I was coming from that coffin, there was an interval. The interval could be a millisecond. It could be a minute, it could be one hour, one day, one month, one year, one decade. There was going to be an interval. How could I live that interval in such a way that if I had the opportunity to re-experience it an infinite number of times, I would say yes. And then I made a very important decision. Whatever I have left will be divided in chunks of one hour. Because we say carpe diem. Carpe diem. Seize the day. In fact, it's not seize the day. It's like grab the day in Latin. As if it is a juicy fruit. And taste it. That's what it is. It's carpe. It's carpe. It's grab it. But with passion, you see, of the positive one. Carpe diem. For me, a day is too long. Too much time to get distracted. Live in the moment. This instant. Too short for me. So I made a person, a decision that makes sense to me. I said, what if the interval is divided in one-hour chunks? And what if I make every possible effort with support from my fellow hooligans, my fellow accomplices, my tribe, to whom I would do the same? Every moment of my life. What if each of these hours could be declared a life unit? A life unit. To be lived in such a way that it could be repeated an infinite number of times. And they helped me come out and my declaration of love to myself and the world was to live in joyful tranquility while enabling other people and ideally other living entities to do the same. What do we need to put in place to ensure that we have a good life until the very end? And this is why the life units are so important. Do we have time or not? This is the most valuable thing. This is my life. This is our lives. Some people think in, in numbers. Some people think in colors. Others think in music. I think in questions. So, a big question that has been asked by the seven me's is what if this is my life, my last life unit? That's it. And I really don't care about the outcome. It's like death. What happens will happen if it happens and will not happen if it doesn't happen and we have no control over it. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's a source of awe, another beautiful, magnificent word, awe. I, w I, I really 
wish that in English all fall was with all as all, not the other way of writing it. Okay, I wish I could say this is truly awful, <laughs> awful. But in that sense, okay, that 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 deep feeling of 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 glorious insignificance. When you are in the presence of something vastly larger, inimaginably larger than oneself. Hmm? Yeah. So that's it. Yum, yum, yum. Hey there, it's me again, Dr. G. I'd like to tell you a bit more about my good friend, Dr. Alex Haddad. Alex is one special human being. He's part medical doctor, part philosopher, and part student of life. As you probably felt from his story, Alex's viewpoints are highly unconventional. But it's that unconventionality that has led to collaboration with leaders from around the world. While some people see in color, Alex sees life in a series of awe-inspired questions, often ones that most of us try to avoid. His desire to share his intimate message stems from his firm belief that if we choose, we can create a global pandemic of health and happiness. Dr. Alex Haddad's convictions are so passionate that I strongly believe he will one day be a Nobel Laureate recipient in his lifetime. If you want to learn more about his global impact, check out the show notes. You'll be amazed. Also, we want to share with you this really interesting clip where Alex talks about a brilliant idea to create a personal board of directors to help live in greater alignment with his truth. Get this clip and more by signing up for our newsletter at superhumans.health. On our next episode, you'll hear from Godfrey Nazareth, where he shares both his superpowers and kryptonite on his journey to defeat ALS. I am so much more than my voice. Would you like to know what my kryptonite is? My kryptonite is being alone and getting lost in the darkness and not finding my way back home. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review to help new listeners discover how story can be a form of medicine. Superhumans is made with love by a tribe of creative artists. Our senior producer and show co-creator is Pamela Rothenberg. Pre-production audio engineering is provided by Jay Wujun Yao. Sound engineering and design is provided by Rob Spate. Community and social media is managed by Tara Bika. Our original theme music is composed by Daniel Brunel. And a special thanks to our creative collaborators, Hatch. From Well Played, I'm Dr. G. And you are loved.